0: Hello and welcome. I'm Iowa City Mayor Bruce T. This is Community Connection, a series that spotlights how our community is coming together during the coronavirus pandemic. Key steps in slowing the spread of the disease include staying home and social distancing. But what does this mean for those who are experiencing homelessness? Shelter House is the only shelter in Johnson County and as you can imagine COVID-19 has presented some very serious challenges for this organization. Joining me to explain the impact is Executive Director Chrissy Kanganelli. Welcome Chrissy.
1: Thank you Mayor Teague.
0: Yes I'm so excited for you to be here today because a lot of people in our community is understanding that there's a lot of changes with the shelter house and I wanted to kind of just talk about one what are some of the essential services that shelter house provides
1: Shelter House provides everything from emergency shelter, uh, daily drop-in services, um, rapid rehousing services uh, by which we help hundreds of people move into their own housing in in the community um, through security deposit, rent assistance, and ongoing case management and life skills support. And then um, most recently, uh, dating back to 2011, we started providing permanent supportive housing. So we're actually an affordable housing provider ourselves.
0: That's awesome, and I, I know some of those affordable housing opportunities for people has really made an impact in their lives. But how does your operations change now that COVID nineteen has kind of, you know, made all of us do some some things different?
1: Yes, the most significant impact we've seen in response to COVID nineteen has been within our shelter uh, programming, um, and and it really is. Um, If we look at the impact of our response throughout all services, you can kind of see um, the full circle of uh, the impact, I think, throughout society. Um, So within our shelter services, we've had to dramatically reduce the number of people that we're actually able to provide shelter to in the shelter facility in order to um, more closely align with the expectations for social distancing and those requirements. Um, So, whereas we ordinarily would have uh, 70 people every night uh, residing at the shelter, we've reduced that capacity to 45 so that we can be best assured to have that physical distancing within the shelter environment for folks.
0: So that capacity Um, at the regular shelter house you've reduced, but I do know that the winter shelter typically is open up until sometime in March, so what happened as far as... Um, Because I know there has been a commitment to ensuring that there is shelter available for all of our individuals that are without a home.
1: Yes, Um, and that's where uh, the timeline for uh, COVID and COVID presenting in our community was really a perfect storm for us unfortunately and I don't mean that in a good way. Um, We closed the uh, winter shelter on uh, March 16th. Um, The governor announced the uh, disaster on March 17th. Um, So as that was happening, our shelter actually, we took in folks from the winter shelter and we still had overflow shelter in our lobby and at the Southgate Avenue building. So that meant that as of March 16th, 17th, we had just under 90 men, women and children in our shelter facility. Um, This is not atypical for the time of year. This consistently happens for us as we're shutting down the winter shelter services and then going into kind of the regular year kind of operations. We kind of balloon up a little bit for a short period of time at the Southgate Avenue building and then uh, start to uh, get back down to that 70. Um, so for us, it meant in very short order, we needed to figure out how to begin to get that census down in the shelter from that effectively 90, down to 45, um, while still serving the people, we could not just send people out to the street, that is not at all what we were considering, but really, what were the options that we had to safely shelter and or house people? And um, fortunately, we were able to work really closely with folks at the city of Iowa City who responded very quickly uh, to provide some additional, some hotel rooms where we could place folks and our particular interest was uh, for individuals that were sick at the time to be able to give them a space to self-isolate uh, because you simply cannot self-isolate in a shelter. So we had up to 15 rooms that we could start placing people very quickly into uh, hotels. And then throughout that first essentially 10 days, I think we housed about 42 uh, individuals in their own housing. So it was very important to make the differentiation between kind of what we had as a two pronged approach of providing some short term uh, shelter capacity through hotels but then the longer term uh, getting people housed very quickly uh, into their own housing which is the safest um, uh, solution of all of course.
0: One of the things you mentioned was Iowa City uh, neighborhood development services were a part of kind of meeting the need for the hotels. Can you tell me a little bit about that partnership and what the criteria is for people to access the hotel?
1: Yes, and we've actually expanded on that over time. So um, this came about from just some initial conversations with uh, city staff Tracy Haishu, Lynette Jacoby at uh, the county health and human services, and also frankly the leadership of uh, Fiona Johnson from Johnson County Ambulance Services. Reaching out to Think Iowa City and Josh Schomberger there, um, I'm mentioning all these names because the imperative really are the relationships that we all have in this community. We're a large community, but we're small enough where we know one another and in establishing these relationships and being able to really jump in and work very closely to problem solve. Uh, That's the imperative and that's the key to being able to get things done during a crisis like this. So um, the initial focus that first week was, number one, to reduce the census in the shelter. We identified that 45 was going to be a safer number in this response period. And um, identifying those individuals that were most vulnerable um, and, and those were the individuals that were sick. Um, and wanting to be able to provide them a space where they could quote-unquote self-isolate. Again, following the directives of our governor that all Iowans should be afforded a space to self-isolate all sick Iowans. We did not interpret that to be sick with uh, COVID-19. It was people who were sick. Um, So identified those individuals. We worked with UIHC and um, Johnson County seats and we did have everyone tested. Um, Folks all tested negative, thankfully, but that was kind of the first criteria was to identify individuals that were sick, uh, were symptomatic, and being able to provide them a space uh, where they could self-isolate. So that was the use of the first 15 rooms um, at uh, the hotel. Next then, the strategy of working with individuals and expanding on our rapid rehousing services Um, We identified individuals who ordinarily we would have asked to quote unquote self resolve. Um, These are individuals that have some amount of resources. Um, If just given additional time in the shelter, they would be able to save up enough money to get to secure their own housing. Well, there's a paradigm shift during this crisis response and time is of the essence. So we wanted to collapse that time down further yet still and if we could provide some modest amount of Financial assistance for the security and rent, um, even for those individuals that kind of were outside the bound of who we ordinarily would work with. We thought that that was important to do. So we worked with local landlords and property managers, many of whom said at the time they were no longer processing new applicants, they weren't doing showings. They agreed to work with our team of staff and did virtual showings, kind of did some behind the scenes work, again, because of the relationships that we had established with them. And it was Um, through their efforts that we were able to very quickly house a a significant number of people and get them into the safety and stability of their own homes. Um, So it's kind of a two-pronged approach of uh, ramping up and expanding our access to rapid rehousing and then utilizing hotel rooms to continue to manage the number within the shelter and keep it at that 45, which in combination with additional hotel rooms that are supported um, by Johnson County now, we're able to allow for a certain amount of inflow of individuals um, that are newly experiencing homelessness and presenting themselves. And I think that's kind of part of the, um, the ebb and flow of all of this that gets even more complicated is, um, you know, for us, it's not uh, a static thing. And the numbers of people who are experiencing homelessness isn't a static event. Um, Our hospitals continue to discharge people to a homeless situation. Uh, Jails and prison are continuing to discharge and actually increasing the numbers of people that they're discharging to a homeless situation. Even though the schools are closed, the school district is continuing to refer people on. And we truly believe uh, in, in the service of our mission, it is in the best interest of the health, safety and well-being of the broader community that we continue to provide homeless services for these individuals.
0: So this is something <laughs> this you all do all the time, rapid rehousing, you are inundated with needs from people all the time of seeking housing and I know that it's often a challenge for various reasons but now it's like you, you mentioned the perfect storm which isn't a good thing and I know that you wrote to the editor and you said a crisis within a crisis. What were you really meaning by that?
1: The event of homelessness, the experience of homelessness is itself a crisis. We've been talking for decades, frankly, about the affordable housing crisis in this country. And one of the really tragic and unfortunate impacts of this COVID-19 crisis and the response is that it highlights and demonstrates in real time what we mean by uh, that language, and what we mean by the fact that housing is healthcare, because we see what happens in the absence of housing. And if I go further back still, one could see and project what would happen in the absence of shelter. So the individuals that we're working with are in crisis. Our organization, Shelter House, operates in a certain level of crisis every day. Um, And we're on this cusp of what is a housing issue versus a health issue, or is it not really a versus thing? It's housing and health, and that the absence of housing, one cannot begin to even talk about being healthy and healthful. Um, So that's at the essence of what we were trying to communicate, is that um, for people who are experiencing homelessness, you can have as, as good uh, programming as possible. You can have as well-managed and clean and organized a facility as possible and structured uh, environment to offer emergency shelter out of, but you cannot provide a space for someone who is infected with a highly infectious disease and virus to self-isolate without compromising the health of every other person in that building. The population that we're working with is they have a, a lot of underlying chronic health issues. They're a very high risk, not just of uh, catching COVID-19, but at having a very extreme reaction to it because their health is so compromised. And that's not even to begin to talk about those who are chronically homeless. They're even uh, further yet still more vulnerable on top of their own vulnerability and exposure and risk is the fact that if you have someone who is homeless, they are potentially by their very nature, exposing many others, not just within a shelter facility, but in the broader public to that very infectious disease. Those are kind of the nuanced things that we were trying to capture in in that letter. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely, and thanks for explaining that a little more it It really does show the complexity of all that you're dealing with right now, and I even wonder about your staff how is that going do you have oper- you have different operating hours I would imagine, and how is your staff being um balancing all of that
1: yeah um so we have um a couple of different facilities that need to be staffed twenty four seven and and that's always been the case um But uh, what has happened is it's been, um, you know, it's, of course, more stressful right now because um, of the exposure that we potentially have, uh, both within our our organization and and, um, for those that we serve. Um, So our staff are on the front lines. You cannot provide shelter remotely. Um, Our permanent supportive housing units need to be staffed 24-7. And and we cannot do that remotely. We need to be in place and responding. And we're working with population of people, uh, again, who are in crisis. So you add um, the current crisis on top of that, and it just kind of makes things a pressure cooker. Um, But I'd have to say that I'm extraordinarily proud and humbled by every day that I uh, am witnessing the commitment and the drive and the determination of my staff um, I'm here at home today doing this uh, interview with you and I go in between uh, shelter and home uh, because I think it's really important to be there with my staff um, but for many of them they don't really functionally have an o- option to be able to leave that work environment they have to be there um, we've made modifications along the way as we can Um, But frankly, we're using handmade masks. Uh, We're in close proximity with people um, within the shelter environment and in the housing units in which we provide and deliver our services. Um, We're all recognizing and and, uh, following the recommendations that the CDC and HUD uh, have issued on um, sanitizing and sterilizing or sanitizing and disinfecting, um, you know, washing our hands, keeping the physical distance Uh, from one another Um, but we cannot um, deny the fact that we're asking our staff to be in these physical environments to deliver the services.
0: You know frontline workers they're absolutely that. They're frontline workers putting their life at risk to ensure that others are safe in our community. So if someone is homeless or needs any parts of your services how can they get in contact with you all?
1: Yeah, so um, people can call uh, day or night. We're, uh, the phone is answered 24-7. The building is staffed, the shelter is staffed 24-7. Um, uh, people can come to our door. Uh, if And if they're seeking shelter, uh, come to us at any time. We're doing intakes at any time of the day. Um, so phone call or, or self-presenting, uh, we're there to help.
0: Awesome. And then there's a lot of people in our community that has really been doing great things at trying to help. Um, So this is Iowa City and the surrounding area, Johnson County. People really do step up to the plate and do what they can to, to ensure that we're all successful. So during this time, what are some of those needs that you all have? I know that there's a lot of financial challenges right now. Are there any volunteer opportunities? Can you tell us a little bit about What opportunities are there for those that would like to help the shelter house?
1: Yep, so um, food delivery has been a major uh, opportunity for volunteers and we've been coordinating that through table to table. Um, And um, there's been a delivery kind of line of uh, making food available for folks that were housing or that were sheltering, excuse me, in the hotels. Um, In addition to uh, arranging to have uh, free lunch meals delivered to the shelter, we, I think, have pretty limited volunteer opportunities on site at the shelter. Um, we're just trying to be very careful uh, about um, bringing people into that environment. Um, but if folks are interested in volunteering in the shelter environment at this time, they should not hesitate and reach out. Uh, go to our website and look up the volunteer link information that's on our website. Um, we're also trying to coordinate with the United Way on the volunteers that they're making available too. Um, we've got uh, been working with a number of different groups that are out in the community that are making, I mentioned the handmade, um, the homemade masks. So we're getting deliveries of homemade masks. There's a group of individuals that uh, are making cookies and delivering them to the shelter. And we're... Um, sharing those with the guests at the shelter and then taking them out to the hotels and folks that are in our housing units Um, because we all, I think, would agree that food is comforting, Um, so sharing that. Uh, There's a team of local restaurateurs that have gotten together um, and are delivering and organizing um, meals as well. So food has been a real focus, I think, in being able to um, reach out and connect and, and just offer comfort. Um, And so we've been able to see that come together. As far as other donations that we can use, um, you know, uh, hand sanitizing, uh, hand sanitizer, uh, toilet paper. Our distributor was out of toilet paper for a while. So I think that we're still looking for that. Um, The regular items that we typically use within the shelter environment, there's a list that's consistently posted on our website. So I just encourage people to check that out or uh, take a look on Facebook and we're updating that regularly.
0: We really appreciate all that you're doing for those that are experiencing homelessness and to anyone out there that would like to be a part in any of the ways that you have mentioned please reach out to the shelter house because they would gladly receive whatever donations that you have. Again, Chrissy, thank you so much for your leadership during this time. Of COVID 19, we know that it's not easy. Thanks to all of your staff, they are frontline workers and we appreciate them. Is there anything else that you would like to say as we end our time here today?
1: Thank you, Bruce, for your leadership and thank you for creating this opportunity to have this conversation. Um, I just say that we would not have been able to uh, work through the experience of these past few weeks, let alone be considering what the next six to nine months is going to have in store for us, if it wasn't for uh, the close working relationship that we have with the leadership of the city, uh, the county, uh, and across both the public and private sectors of our community, people are really coming together in just an extraordinary way and we're just deeply grateful for that. Thank you.
0: Yes and I can tell you that by what you just said we really are in this together. Thank you Chrissy for your time today. Thank you Bruce. Yes and for more resources from community partners and trusted health experts you can check out our webpage at icgov.org/coronavirus there you will also find the latest on city response efforts including facility closures and service changes that's our episode for today i want to remind all of you to do your part in this fight stay home when possible to prevent the spread of coronavirus when you have to go out Please wear a homemade mask, together we can help flatten the curve. We'll be back again on Thursday with another episode of Community Connection. Be safe Iowa City.